tonight at Exodus 35. And I want us to read a few verses from God's holy word in Exodus 35. And I want to show you a couple principles about grace giving from this Old Testament passage. And I'm confident that if you will let the Spirit speak to you, the Spirit will have his way and I won't have my way because I'm just here to let the Spirit have his way. God is my witness. Exodus chapter 35. Let's begin our reading in verse number four. And Moses spake unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying, Take ye from among you an offering unto the Lord. Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it. An offering of the Lord, gold and silver and brass, and blue and purple and scarlet, and fine linen and goat's hair, and ram skins dyed red, and badger skins, and shittim wood, and oil for the light, and spices for anointing oil, and for the sweet incense. And onyx stones, and stones to be set for the ephod, and for the breastplate. And every wise-hearted among you shall come and make all that the Lord com hath commanded. Verses 11 through 20, Moses repeats all of the things God commanded them to make in the previous chapters. Verse 20 records the response of the nation of Israel. And to all the congregation of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him up, and everyone whom his spirit made willing. And they brought the Lord's offering to the work of the tabernacle of the congregation. And for all his service, and for the holy garments. And look at chapter 36. We'll cover some of the middle ground here in just a few moments. In verse number five. The people who are working on the tabernacle, it says in verse number five, and they spake unto Moses saying, the people bring much more than enough for the service of the work, which the Lord commanded to make. And Moses gave commandments. Listen to this. And they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp saying, let neither man nor woman Make any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing. I love verse seven. For the stuff they had was sufficient for all the work to make it and too much. This is the word of the Lord. Would you join me in a word of prayer tonight? Father, I come to you so needy. Lord, you know how much I've prayed and poured over this message. How much I need your help, God. God, I pray that it would be your spirit at work tonight, not me. I don't need a single dime, God. We offer all of our offerings to you. Lord, I pray as we listen to your word tonight, your spirit would do the renewing work of producing willing and even as it says, wise hearts. 
God, your all-powerful spirit would take the selfishness that is tainting our souls and cleanse us from our sin of selfishness and renew us in the image of your son who gave himself as a full offering to you. God, I pray that you would speak to us. Lord, I pray you'd comfort those who give so generously. I know there are some. I don't know who they are, God, but they do. And I pray that this reminder would show them that they are responding to the spirit as he intends. Lord, I pray you'd speak tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. I think I have four principles for you tonight. Here's the first one. Grace giving is commanded by God for all spirit-filled people. When it comes to grace giving, I think there's a temptation to think that because it's by grace, that generosity and sacrifice are optional. And when you look at the text, you have to wonder, is this an offering that's just for those who are willing to give it? Or is it an offering that is commanded by God? And the answer is yes. Look at verse number four in chapter 35. It says that this is the thing which the Lord what? Come on, y'all. You're reading the same Bible I am. Verse number four. This is the thing that the Lord what? Commanded. That's not an option. It's a command from God. But then it says later on in verse number five, whosoever is of a willing heart. We would in 2023 translate that or say that as generous. So is this offering just for the generous folk or is it for all the folk? Yes. God envisioned all of those who are generous to obey his command to give. And I think that some misinformed Christians can feel that because we're New Testament Christians, that we have an option as to whether our giving will hurt or not. We get to choose because of the grace of Christ, whether or not giving will cost us something or whether it will not. But I want to show you that even the Old Testament, these people who are giving by grace were giving not just because of the generosity, but because there was a command by God. And if you need to be reminded that as a New Testament Christian, there is a command. Read 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 through 4. There is a command to bring the offerings to God's house. And from the very beginning, the scripture shows us the type of sacrifice that is commanded by God. Verse number 21 says that this offering was commanded to all those who had the spirits within them. Look at verse 21. They came, everyone whose heart stirred them up and whom his spirit made willing. So the offering was for those who the spirit would prompt. Now I want to challenge those of you who maybe are misinformed about grace giving, who think that because of the blood of Jesus, you don't have an obligation to obey this command from God. I want to challenge you to just listen to God's word tonight and ask yourself this question. What did it look like for people to give by grace in this passage? Was it little or was it much? And I think we all have to agree when we look at this passage in verses four through nine, 
that this much is clear. God doesn't intend for anybody to disobey his commands. If it's a command, it's a command. If it's a command, it's obligatory. And I'm not trying to guilt anybody, but as a pastor, I'm called to preach all the things that God has commanded to you. And I think some Christians have bought into the lie that as a pastor, I could talk about heaven and hell and intimacy within marriage and all sorts of other topics. But when it comes to money, don't talk about that. My friend, it's a command of God just like the other things. And it burdens me, our giving, not because the adjustments we'll have to make if people don't step up. I can make adjustments. I've been doing that every quarter. Since I've been here, we've had to make adjustments. Once you sign a budget, just count it to be true. You're going to have to make some adjustments. That's what I've learned as a pastor. Budgets go out the window a week after the budget's made because something always happens. The last two years, at least. But what burdens me, Christian, and I want you to sit under the weight of God's word tonight, that if giving is a command... The best I know, not by looking, but by being told, we have a large chunk of our congregation disobeying the commands of God. When I say disobeying, I don't mean that they're not giving. That most of our, a chunk of our church family, from what I've been told, I don't know any names, are just not giving sacrificially. Now, I, I have a lot of sympathy and empathy for someone who might say, Pastor, listen, I would give, but I'm in a tight financial spot. Well, I think most of you know what our family brings home as a salary. It's not a mystery. But here's what I could say. I know what it's like to be in a tight financial spot. I do. And, and this, this inflation is crazy, y'all. It's crazy. But let me remind you that when God spoke this command, he wasn't speaking it to middle-class Midwesterners, which all of you are, every one of you. God was speaking this to slaves. And by the way, the only thing he was calling them to give was the only money they had in their pockets. Because if you read the book of Exodus, the only way these people had any gold at all was because the Egyptians gave it to them when they plundered them on their way out of Egypt. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be one of those Israelites marching out of the promised land? Not only do I get a new piece of land when I get to the promised land, the God's filled my pockets with gold, and it's just a few weeks later, God's telling them, give me your gold. I don't know about you, when God fills my pocket with a little bit extra, I make some plans pretty quick. You know, my, my wife started teaching piano, and it's like 15 bucks a week teaching piano. If you want to learn piano, my wife teaches piano, by the way. And, and hey, listen, there's plans for that money the, the moment it hits your bank account. I know y'all are the same. Hey I, hey, I got this extra. I've been waiting to buy this, and boy, we've been waiting to fix this at our house, and so things come in, and we've got plans here. Hey, the Israelites were probably the same way. 
And they're traveling, they've got gold jewelry, they've got jewels, and they're like, man, I could trade this for some animal skins and build me a nice roof covering on my house. I could trade this for some lumber and get me a real sturdy house that'll last a couple generations. And yet God is saying, I'm gonna ask you to give everything I've given you. Well, hold on, God, how am I gonna make it in the promised land and start from scratch? God says, I'll take care of that, but I need you to offer to me of your generous heart what I've given you. And I think what I'm I'm concerned about for American Christianity is that we live in a culture that has radically defined, redefined what is classified as a need. Folks don't give generally, not because they hate the church. <clears throat> I'm looking at a bunch of people who love this church. That's not why people don't give. People don't give because they have needs. Wants, needs. But I, I remember talking to one of our, our people in our church, and they were asking me some counsel actually about this subject. And I was just helping this person process that. I'll never forget what they said. I said, well, you know, Pastor, now that I think about it, I've got a car loan. I guess I don't need that. So if I can't give a tithe, I guess really what should go is not the tithe, but my car loan. And in American culture, we've redefined what needs are. And so when we look at the, the hierarchy of what gets paid, God's offerings get put on the bottom shelf or they get reduced to a lower amount so we can feel like we're giving something to God. But we have all of these things in our life and yet God gets the short end of the stick. And I'm not trying to be unkind. I've prayed a lot about this particular thought. But I think sometimes as people like Peter, we can be um, in denial about our own sin that sometimes someone needs to ask us a question for us to get it that maybe we're giving ourselves too many excuses. And, and Christians in love, I just wanna challenge you. Can we really own a 1,400 square foot house and not give to God? Is it fair that we own two cars but we don't give to God? Is it fair that we have a restaurant budget that probably is higher than most upper-class people, but we don't give to God. We can have multiple TV subscriptions, but we can't give generously to God. We have two incomes, but we can't give generously to God. Listen, all of those things are great. If you have a car loan, I'm not judging you. I don't, I choose not to, but you can have one and it's not wrong. But what I'm saying is that all of those things are not as important as giving and obeying God's commands. What strikes me about this passage is it's not just that the people recognize the command of the Lord that was bearing down upon them. And, and Christian, I hope you feel a weight when it says the Lord commands. We have to feel that weight when God speaks. But what we see in this passage is that these Christians or these people of God were not just giving because of the command of the Lord. They were giving because there was a genuine need. And here's the second principle about grace giving tonight. Grace giving 
is necessary to fulfill God's vision for the sanctuary. Verses 10 through 20 are, are kind of a relisting of all of the things God has already given instructions about in Exodus. God's been telling Moses, and it's, and you know, when you're reading it, your eyes start to glaze over if you're not careful, right? Like God's laying out the dimensions of the table of showbread, you know? And he's laying out the dimensions of all the decorative pieces in the tabernacle, all of the curtains, all of the linens, all of the altars, all of the veils, and and of course, the all-important Ark of the Covenant with its mercy seat. And what we see in verses 10 through 20 is that Moses makes it very clear that all of these offerings were going to the very things God had commanded. God had given them a blueprint for his sanctuary. God had told them what their worship was supposed to involve. And so their money, their gold, their silver, their precious stones, their oils, their spices, all of that was going to obey the commands of the Lord. Now think about this. God did not command them to make a sanctuary that exceeded their budget. God knew what they would have. Sometimes people make a big deal about the extravagance of the temple. This is the tabernacle, of course. But friend, when you would have gone to the tabernacle, you would have noticed it was nice, but it was modest. God was not demanding too much from the people of God. And I pray tonight, I'm not. I don't think I am. But we, as a church, we are not given a blueprint for how each pew should be fashioned or the pulpit or all that. Much of this is tradition. Much of this is tradition that we're funding around here. But what I want to show you is that the people were giving because they recognized the work to which God had called them as a people could not happen apart from their generosity. It couldn't happen. No giving, no tabernacle. And God hasn't told us what furniture we should have as a church. But he has given us principles. He has given us commands that as a church help inform the texture and the detail of what our ministry should do. God's told us, he's commanded us to actively reach out to the lost. And church, if we are to corporately reach out to the lost, oftentimes that requires grace giving. What I've really, one of the greatest joys of the last two years being here is that I've watched how many of you got really behind some of the stuff we've been doing to reach out to our community. That has blessed me more than you'll ever know. I'll tell you a secret. When we had Boo at the Zoo last year, I had to create a second sign-up sheet to make more volunteer slots because y'all kept wanting to help. I didn't think you would. I'm a bad pastor. I didn't have faith, okay? I'm working on that. You got behind it. When when we're reaching out and we're doing gift baskets for the the ladies' ministry assembled and made some gift baskets so we could go knock on doors and I don't have shotguns pulled on me. I have people who answer the door with a smile. We had more ladies turn out to that than to other stuff that the ladies did. Y'all love reaching out to the lost, but I just want to remind you that if we are going to continue to do this stuff, that stuff requires grace giving. And my greatest fear, my greatest fear is that this next calendar year is that we'll have to cut back on our outreach. 
because of these circumstances and because of a lack of grace giving in our church. That's my greatest fear. Because I know all of you know our church needs to reach more people. You all know it. And I praise God that you do. But sometimes that requires grace giving. There's cheap ways to do it, but I haven't seen a whole lot of people take invite cards. So we're going to do both strategies. We're going to have you take an invite card, and we're going to do corporate things that reach out into the community. God's told us to reach the lost, and that requires grace giving. Number two, God requires us to take care of his house, and that requires grace giving. Now, God hasn't commanded us to have jewels and gold in our sanctuary. In fact, the New Testament has several principles about modesty. But I think that all of us, our vision for this building is not for it to be extravagant. There's not been a single thing I've done as a pastor that's been extravagant. But that our building would be a testimony that would glorify God. And it's not even just the improvements we've done. That's one thing. But there's just stuff. Buildings are one big money pit, aren't they? Houses are money pits. You all know that. We've got HVAC stuff to service. We've got toilet paper to buy. We've got construction supplies. We have plumbers that have to fix our ancient plumbing in the back by the basement. We have, we have light bulbs that need to get changed. And, and I can promise you as a pastor, I'm doing what I can to cut everything and to slice everything. But here's what I understand is that if we're gonna continue to press forward and have facilities that testify that we are serious about what we're doing at this address, we have to fund that. It takes funding. It doesn't appear out of thin air. And I just want to share with you just a few things. Because I know all of you have gotten behind through finances or volunteer hours to clean up the landscaping here and, and have approved different special projects that we've voted on for different things to improve the exterior of our building. And I've had untold amounts of people rejoice and say, whoa, I've noticed. I've noticed what's going on over there. I've noticed what's going on over there. I had someone ask me if, our, if this was a new church because they've noticed such a difference. And I said, no, this is a historic church. 75 years we've been cranking out stuff. But that stuff requires grace giving. God desires us to minister to Christians in our congregation and that requires grace giving. And that comes in a lot of forms. Curriculum costs, materials we buy, software we use, flowers we get for hurting people, and all sorts of other things. And, and, and I'm not gonna shy away from teaching this because it's one of the very few things that God talks about when it comes to the church's money in the New Testament. But God desires us to take care of a pastor who preaches the word. And that requires grace giving. And as I told you at the beginning of this message, I'm not worried. That's not why I'm preaching this. I'm not like, oh no, I gotta pay my salary. That's not what this is about. I know that you, church, care about taking care of your pastor because you've done that well even before I came here. The best of your ability. But here's the reality we can't support a full time pastor and not buy into grace giving, the two can't coexist. So here's the passage there's a command. God commands all people to give, and there's a need. Grace giving is necessary to fulfill God's vision for the sanctuary. But I want you to see most of all, and probably the most beautiful part about this, is not the command or the need, but it's the response. It's the response of the people. 
Some of us might be tonight tempted to respond with anger, a rolling of the eyes, a questioning of the motives of the person speaking. But I want you to see that in Exodus 35, that's not how these people responded. By the way, these aren't like super Christians. Uh, It was like 10 chapters earlier, they were worshiping a golden calf. But I want you to see two responses from these people that teach us something about grace giving. We see that grace giving should include everybody. I'm going to read all of verses 21 through 29. And I want you to notice, church, how often the words everyone, every, and all show up. Look at chapter 35, verse 21. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him up, and everyone whom his spirit made willing. And they brought the Lord's offering to the work of the tabernacle of the congregation and for all his servants and for the holy garments. And they came, both men and women, as many as were willing hearted and brought bracelets and earrings and rings and tablets, all jewels of gold, and every man that offered an offering of gold unto the Lord. And every man with whom was found blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair and red skins of rams and badger skins brought them. Everyone that did offer an offering of silver and brass brought the Lord's offering and every man with whom was found shittim wood for any work of the service brought it. And all the women that were wise hearted did spin with their hands and brought that which they had spun, both of blue and of purple and of scarlet and of fine linen. And all the women whose hearts stirred them up in wisdom spun goat's hair. And the rulers brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastplate. And spice and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense. The children of Israel brought a willing offering unto the Lord. Every man and woman whose heart made them willing to bring for all manner of work which the Lord had commanded to be made by the hand of Moses. Here's my burden tonight. It has nothing to do with our financial report or our balance sheet. My burden is this. If Exodus 35 was written about Fellowship Baptist Church in Garden City, could it have been written the same? I worry that Moses wouldn't have written all. He would have said, and some brought of a willing heart. And some were willing to make personal sacrifices to give a tithe towards God's house. Some made sure that they didn't skip out on their giving when their bills were hard that month. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I want everybody to get involved in grace giving because I want everyone to experience the blessings of grace giving. I watch people struggle and I I always wonder, wonder how they're doing in their giving. I'm not judging. We've struggled at times. But man, it's been so sweet. And I know some of you have testified to me personally that in the very moment you were tempted to lighten up, listen, listen, listen. In the very moment you were tempted to lighten up on your giving, it was just after that that God blessed Every time.
God's been so good to our family. Not because we deserve it, but God just put it out in his word that the way God works is he responds to faithful giving. I've had people draft free plans for our basement. I've had people give me a $1,000 beam for free. I've had extra money literally appear out of nowhere two days after praying for it. And I just want more Christians to experience the grace that God pours out when his people give. But the most striking part of the whole story is the end. God asked a bunch of slaves who had nothing but their Egyptian jewelry to give that jewelry back to him to fund his sanctuary rather than to fund their new life in Canaan. And I think what we're tempted to think in this culture is that grace giving should lead to less generosity. We're programmed to think that it's normal for churches to struggle. But our text give us, gives us the opposite impression. Because lastly, we see tonight that grace giving should lead to more generosity, not less. In chapter 36, verse number two, we see the strangest series of events. It says in verse number two that Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab. These are the people who are kind of the head contractors. And every wise-hearted man in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, even everyone whose heart stirred him up, to come unto the work and to do it. So verse number three, they received of Moses all of the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of the sanctuary to make it withal. And they brought yet unto him free offerings every morning. And all the wise men that wrought all the work of the sanctuary came every man from his work which they had made. By the way, grace giving is not just grace volunteering, it's grace financial giving too. There's a clear distinction in the passage that we can't like offset our tithe with our hours served in the church. There were two separate calls. And as these people are building the tabernacle, something happens that every pastor wishes would happen. They're working and they come to Moses in verse number five. They spake unto Moses saying, the people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded to make. Can you picture how this happened? Just think about it. Here's Bezalel, and he's got his workshop set up so he can cut all these tent stakes for this. And he says, Moses, I have so much wood piled up in my shop from people giving offerings, I don't have room to build this tabernacle you want me to build. And Aholiab's out there, and he's spinning stuff together, and he's got a whole assembly line of ladies weaving the veils and the curtains together, and people keep bringing so much stuff. He says, Moses, I don't have time to work because I keep managing offerings. Can you imagine that? Here they are. And then Moses says the words every pastor dreams of having to say. He says in verse number six, basically, we don't need any more offerings, y'all. Stop giving. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the day? 
Every pastor says, I would never say that. (laughs) I would find more ways to give it away. And y'all, I want you to know that it's possible as a church for us to give out of the abundance of our heart and as the Lord has prospered you. By the way, God doesn't expect someone who makes 50 grand a year to give like someone who has 100 grand a year. He doesn't expect that. But here's the reality. It's possible for churches to have such a spirit of giving their church, they don't have enough ways to give the money away. I've watched it. I know a, a pastor in Dallas They just built a new facility and they're selling off their old facility. And y'all know Dallas is growing like crazy and so real estate is ridiculously overpriced. So when they sell their old church building, it's gonna be worth several million dollars. And there's such a spirit of giving in this place that they're gonna sell a multi-million dollar building and just give it all to missions. You know why? Because it's possible for there to be a culture of generosity that leads to more giving and more abundance and not less. It's possible if God's spirit is working in people to not just provide their needs, but to meet more than their needs. And I love the verse, verse number seven, look at it again. I think it expresses the perfect balance. The stuff they had was sufficient for all the work to make it. Here's the reality. God did not call them to do more than they could afford. They had a work, and God knew what they needed. And God didn't make that money rain out of the sky. He brought it from the willing offerings of his people. But they didn't just have enough. They had more than enough. More than enough. Too much. Imagine me saying that at the next quarterly review. Y'all been given too much. Anyone got any ideas? Anyone know any missionaries? Because we can't support enough. I don't know enough. Anyone got any ideas? Let's find some more to give to. And I'm not saying that in a, in a church this size that it's realistic to expect that with 40 people we could have more than $120,000, $130,000 budget demands. But here's what I know. What God is calling us to do, he will supply. So I'm not preaching this message worried about how God will supply No, I'm preaching it in the confidence that God has designated that the way he will supply the need of the church is through the willing offerings of the people. And I know that the spirit of God lives in your heart. And you are not obeying the commands of the Lord. You can't escape the voice of God tonight. What would happen if God did this in our church? I want you to write down one statement. It's on the screen. Our church will have what it needs when we give what we have. Our church will have what it needs when we give what we have. Reality is, is right now we're turning away or turning down opportunities that come up for blessing people or doing things in the community because of lack of budget. I'm turning down ways to minister to the poor in our community. It's just not realistic. And I think so many of us accept the fact that because of our size, financial struggle is what comes. But I believe tonight, and I mean this with, the, with all the grace that I could possibly have as someone who loves Jesus, and wants to reflect him, 
that for the most part, our financial struggle is not a product of our size. Our financial struggles are likely a symptom of our selfishness. It's a symptom of a culture that is disobeying the commands of God. What would it be like if our church got on board with real grace giving? Number one, I trust that there would be seasons of struggle. God doesn't just rid you of your financial struggles when you give to him, but I, would, I think there'd be so many more testimonies that could be given of God blessing and coming through for people who put him first. We could find more ways to be generous toward our missionaries. We could find more ways to serve the poor and the needy. We could find more ways to multiply the gospel efforts in our community and reach more people. We could find more ways to even use our own building for the Great Commission. We could find more ways to minister to our own membership because grace giving leads to more generosity and not less. Again, I'll make it clear. What I've said tonight is not an alarm. It's not me sounding the panic button. In fact, the reality is that I think our temptation, maybe generationally for some of you, is that as soon as you hear a message like this, you think our church needs to stop spending anything. The Corinth pulled out, we can't spend a dime. Don't you dare try and ask us to vote on anything, pastor. But can I warn you and caution you? The fastest way to kill our church is to stop spending money on anything and to go into maintenance mode. I know this, God will take care of us. But I also know this, God will take care of us through people obeying the commands of God. I'm not angry, I'm burdened. For those of you who are tithing or even giving above a tithe, you know who you are, I don't. I doubt this message was uncomfortable. But if there are some here who maybe haven't, I trust that if you value obeying God's commands, accomplishing the work he's called us to do, that you will get off the bench and get in the game. Because we could use some more players on the field. I hope that tonight if we are challenged by the fact that if every slave could give, Every middle-class Midwesterner can give to the Lord's work. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I want Shelby to come. Let's respond to God tonight.